Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey, everybody. My name is Eric Skorzynski, and this is a little bit different of an episode and coming out to you on a different day than the normal release schedule. And the simple reason is um, I had two last minute, and I mean last minute in sense of uh, finding out 48 to 72 hours before, um, two last minute out of state trips, uh, related to some of the freelancing work that I do, um, which is just the nature of the beast, I guess. So, um, thank you so much for being patient waiting on this episode. And, um, yeah, just because of having to reschedule, I had to reschedule on two guests. And so, um, yeah, so I had to be put off this episode just a little bit, but, um, I do have some guests lined up. And I am excited to show those uh, interviews or I guess play those interviews for you guys. But right now, I think is a good time to answer a couple listener questions because I've seen, a, you know, a lot of great feedback and I've also seen a lot of common questions repeating over and over again. And so I thought it'd be good to kind of hit the brakes on this episode and kind of go through why I'm doing this and answer some of the questions that you guys may have. But um, before I jump into this, um, I just want to do a couple quick housekeeping items. Uh, one, if you haven't already, visit PreacherBoys.doc. That's D-O-C, PreacherBoysDoc.com. Uh, there's a lot of content there. I'm going to be doing some more updates and uh, keeping that to um, keep growing and develop into something that is really a good resource for those who have left the movement, those who are in the movement and want to, um, you know, find out more information. I've got uh, the new episodes on there. Obviously, you may be listening to this on that site. I have the option to schedule interviews so we can discuss your experience and see if it's a good fit for the podcast. And then I also have a page on there Uh, that is an abuser database and that basically takes any reported abuse and lists it out by state so if you wanted to look in your state and just see if there is a case of abuse there um, you can check that out if you have one that's not on the site already feel free to shoot a message over to preacherboysdoc that's preacherboysdoc at gmail.com or shoot me a message on instagram facebook twitter all of those the handle is at preacherboysdoc as well and uh, also, I just added on a merch tab, so I have ways for you to represent the show with stickers, shirts, things like that, and so feel free to check that out. Um, there's not an insane markup, it's like a dollar that I get off of each shirt, and that just basically plugs right back into the cost of running this podcast, of paying for the site, things like that. And uh, But really, the value for me is just getting the name of the show out there, and uh, you know, just remember, keep sharing stuff, keep letting your friends know. And uh, if you can rep the 
rep the movement and the project. I really appreciate it. And then lastly, I just want to ask you guys to please, 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 if you haven't already, go on iTunes and leave a five-star review if this is a show that you really enjoy. If you don't enjoy it, obviously don't leave a five-star review. But um, if you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review. Let people know why. And uh, that does two things. One, it just uh, lets me know people are liking what I'm putting out. Uh, Whatever rating I get, uh, I can learn something from. And then also, um, you know, as reviews come in, it's going to help bump it up in Apple's algorithm. So it'll rank higher in iTunes and there's a better chance of it being seen by more people. Okay, I think that's all the housekeeping for this episode. If I think of anything else, I'll throw it in. This is kind of a freestyle episode of sorts, uh, but I want to just jump directly into the listener questions. And so um, I'll go ahead and start off with an easy one. Why now create this amazing podcast? This is from Graham Scott. Uh, He asked this on the Facebook page. Why now to create this amazing podcast? Well, thank you, Graham. Um, The reason I'm doing this podcast now Um, just to give a little piece of my story and I'm sure I'll dive into this a little bit more as the episode progresses, but, um, I've been out of the independent Baptist movement for about seven years now. Um, well, actually closer to six years. And so I've got a little bit of distance between me and that world. And so the reason I'm returning to it now is simply because no one else has in a, consistent fashion. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been some amazing, amazing, amazing work done in reporting some of this stuff. There's people who have, you know, like Jerry Massey, who's an author. She wrote a really great compendium of abuse in the church. Um, There's been great Facebook groups. There's been, um, you know, there was a great, great reporting from Sarah Smith uh, when she did the, um, the story Spirit of Fear. So there has been good reporting, but I wanted something to come out that was a consistent, you know, quality kind of resource discussing, you know, something that is literally decades now of cyclical abuse. And so I simply made it because it's something that I wanted to exist and I was kind of waiting for someone else to do it, but no one did. And so I just decided to jump in and take action myself. And also there's just a lot of baggage, um, you know, I want to be careful with using that word because I know there's going to be critics who are going to say, see, I knew he's bitter, but, um, not so much anger. I, I, I'm not coming at this from a place of bitterness. There is anger for some of the injustice that's taken place. Definitely. But I think there's a big difference between anger and bitterness. And, um, so I am angry. Uh, there's a lot of things that frustrate me. And, um, there's a lot of things emotionally that I'm still working through. And this has been a really cathartic, um, experience. It has been, um, you know, talking to, uh, people who have been through similar experiences has been very, very healing and has helped me work through a lot of things that, um, I wasn't able to work through before. And so that's why I'm creating this podcast now. All right. This is easy. Question one's done. All right. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and jump into the next question here. This one is from Kayleen. Uh, she says, how do you define fundamentalism? I grew up believing that it just meant the following. There's a divine creator, inerrant word of God, his deity, the virgin birth, Christ died for us and a bodily resurrection. He will come back and establish his kingdom. And there's a literal heaven and hell. Does fundamentalism mean something different to these groups? That's a really, really good question. So 
if you ask somebody in the IFP movement, are you a fundamentalist? They're probably going to say all the things that you just mentioned. And honestly, they're not wrong. And in some ways, I guess I could be described as a fundamentalist. I believe in all, all the things that you mentioned, I believe, unless I look back through and see anything. Um, but yeah, I believe in all these core principles of Christianity. Um, that's not something that really seeps into the podcast that much because I want this to be, you know, not necessarily a Christian podcast talking about these issues. I want this to be, you know, a podcast that just exists and talks about these issues. So I don't really bring a lot of my personal beliefs to the table. I want to let our guests speak from their experiences, but on paper, I guess you could describe me as a fundamentalist. I believe that, you know, the Bible is the inspired word of God. I believe that God is the creator. I believe that, you know, there was a virgin birth that Christ died for us to pay for our sin debt. I believe that he's going to come back and establish his kingdom here on earth and I believe that, you know, heaven is a real place, you know, but when you look at the IFP movement, there is a lot of additional add-ons to fundamentalism that have carried on for decades. And, you know, fundamentalism, if you watch, um, there's actually a really funny um, Twitter account that I'll give a shout out to, um, but it's called uh, IFB Preacher Clips. The, the actual handle is at fake f-a-k-e sermon and they share a lot of clips with preachers and if you watch them you'll see a common thread when they describe fundamentalism and fundamentalism for them means you dress the way that i do you wear a suit and tie you go to church three times a week women wear skirts there's literally um you know whole videos about you know why pants are you know demonic and things like that so there there's been a lot of extra baggage and a lot of this started with, you know, in a, in a big way with the founders of the movement and specifically with um, Jack Hiles, who came in just a little bit after the Independent Fundamental Baptist kind of became a thing. And, um, you know, that's where you see issues like King James Onlyism. King James Onlyism, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, is the belief that the King James Version of the Bible is the only version of the Bible that is God's preserved word. And so, um, you know, obviously this is kind of a troubling idea because if God's only preserved word is in English, uh, that doesn't bode well for the rest of the world. Uh, but, um, if you, if you look at that, um, issue, that's one thing that many would consider a fundamental issue. Um, whereas I think most people who have any basic understanding, and I'm not, I'm not trying to claim that I'm a scholar, but anyone who has a basic understanding of how translation works would say that that's a silly position to hold to as a fundamental. Um, but yes, fundamentalism necessarily isn't bad, but when you say fundamentalism, meaning what I believe you have to believe, I think that becomes a very negative situation for people to get involved in. And so when I talk about someone being a fundamentalist, typically I'm referring to them the way that, you know, Jack Hiles would refer to it is they're separated from other churches. They don't associate with anyone who doesn't believe exactly as they do. And I think that is a dangerous place to be. Okay. Next question is from Aaron. Uh, he says, if you have left the IFB quote movement, whatever that is, why are you singling out the IFB denomination 
and not addressing abuse within religious institutions as a whole. At face value, this appears you just have a personal bone to pick with the IFB denomination when the issue of victims and justice extends far beyond IFB, and in fact, abuse may be far more prevalent in terms of frequency within other denominations and social groups. Aaron, thank you for the question. Um, I know that there's been a lot of confusion from people who maybe aren't familiar with independent federal Baptist churches, um, and specifically the kind of the scandals, um, that have kind of taken place. Um, so when I say IFB movement, it sounds like a juxtaposition of terms because you have these churches that are saying they're independent, but I'm referring to them as a movement and even pastors within it would call it a movement, uh, in many places. So when I refer to the quote movement, what I'm talking to is the fact that although on paper they claim to be independent, um, all of these churches, for the most part, um, all of them share common Bible colleges, common reference points, share conference speakers, exchange staff with each other. And when it comes to areas of abuse, uh, what you see happening is not too dissimilar from what we saw the Catholic Church doing. Uh, back when the spotlight report was issued, which is you'll see a church like First Baptist Church of Hammond where, you know, they'll find out that a church in a neighboring state is committing abuse and they'll relocate them to a different church. And it really is there. There really are almost parishes with, you know, these big churches with Golden State Baptist Church, with West Coast Baptist College, with Hiles Anderson, um, even Pensacola, which wouldn't on paper consider itself fundamentalist. But again, shares a lot of the same water as those other ministries, you'll just see over and over again that they do act in a interconnected way. And um, it's a really good defense to be able to say, well, we're independent. We're not responsible for the other person. But when you really look at it, they're all pulling from the same streams and are very open about partnering with each other. And so um, when I say movement, that's what I'm referring to. And I'd be happy to expand on that more in a future episode. And I think I think I will, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about that. I know in the documentary, I'll really explain kind of the threads and the commonalities between all these different ministries. And uh, to answer your next part of your question, the reason I'm singling out the IFB is one really simple reason is that's the movement that I have experience with. Um, that's my personal experience. That's where I've seen things. Um, kind of happened. That's where I've kind of researched. And so I think the best place to speak is to where my experience is. But um, also I do think, like I said, I think that there is a truly horrific kind of underbelly of the IP movement that's become more and more visible. And, you know, just the amount of scandals, the amount of cover-ups. And these are cover-ups by people who are heralded as the fathers of this movement. And so I do have some serious issues with the IFB. It's hard to say whether it's, you know, more prevalent in other groups because the IFB is a relatively small denomination. Um, so I don't know where exactly the numbers break down, but, um, you know, I wasn't raised in a Jehovah's witness church, so I can't really speak to abuse from a personal, uh, perspective or from a firsthand knowledge. So the IFB is just something where I feel like nobody has really been able to talk about it, like I said earlier, in a consistent way. And so I'm kind of discussing the IFB denomination because that's my point of familiarity. And I think that there's a lot of victims who have not been heard. And I don't think that because 
it may not be as prevalent as it is in other groups. Um, again, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I don't think it's right to silence those stories just because of size of a denomination. Um, plus two, I think there's already been some great work, you know, regarding the Catholic church and things like that. So I, I don't feel, um, pressed at this time to, to dive into those. So that's why specifically with the IFB, um, the next question is why is there such a thing as quote preacher boys? This is a good question. Um, so the name of the podcast and the documentary is called preacher boys. And what I pulled that from was that's a term, a pretty affectionate term that, um, pastors refer to young preachers, uh, when you're at youth camps, when you're at conferences, when you're at Bible colleges, uh, you'll hear the word preacher boys, um, said a lot. And essentially that just means, um, you know, they're young preachers and, uh, they're being trained up to be the next generation of, you know, the IFB kind of preaching world. And, um, the reason I picked that name was because, there is a cyclical nature of abuse and we are seeing repeated patterns happening over and over throughout the country. Echoes of abuse that is all similar uh, going over and over and over again. And I think a lot of that can be traced back to the fundamental, if you'll excuse the word, the fundamental training that these quote unquote preacher boys are receiving. And then it also, I think is interesting because with all the cover-ups, there are a lot of, you know, quote unquote boys clubs. And so I think that, you know, in a, in a movement that is led completely by male leadership and where, uh, women tend to be silenced or, um, or, you know, just treated as a fixture within the church. I think that the name preacher boys really addresses kind of that problem of, what I don't think is an overstretch to call toxic masculinity, although I'm not a huge fan of that word or that phrase. I think that that is a prime example of men abusing their power in really egregious ways. And so that's why the name preacher boys, why that exists within the movement, I think is truly just a, you know, that's just a side effect of the movement wanting to self-populate and recreate itself and avoid anything that doesn't look exactly like them. And so um, actually, if you listen to episode two of the podcast, I believe with Stephen Teal, uh, we talk about that, the desire to clone uh, the pastoral leadership versus teaching people to think and become, you know, wise, intelligent thinkers for the movement on their own. And so um, I think that's why there is such a thing as preacher boys. I think it's just a uh, reaction and a, a very separatist idea of I need to clone myself and just replicate myself in as many young men as I can so that way this movement won't die out. All right, and I'm going to get into a couple more questions here. I've got five more or uh, six more, uh, but I'll blow through these really quick. Um, so Tim asks, at what point was the veil over your eyes lifted and were you able to or and you were able to see the IFP movement for what it was? So, um, this is a long story, but I'll keep it short. Um, I was completely bought in, uh, to the independent Baptist movement. And I shared a little bit of this testimony on my personal Instagram. That's at East Gorzinski. Um, I think I shared it over on preacher boys as well, but, um, I was completely bought in. Um, I grew up in the independent Baptist church. I went to the Christian school. 
I went to the church and granted the church that I went to, and I even said this in the post, as far as independent Baptist churches go was definitely on the lesser side of things. Um, there are some horrifically abusive ministries and I was not a part of that. The people for the most part, uh, were genuinely kind people. Um, I grew up with great parents. Um, I didn't experience abuse at home. Um, and so it was a relatively good environment. There were some eccentricities, uh, some guidelines that I thought were strange and I still think are strange, uh, things like that, but it was not a place where, you know, abuse, at least that I experienced in the 20 years I was there was, was a big thing. Um, there was definitely some, you know, psychological manipulation things from, the youth leadership at certain points. Um, once I got into high school, I started feeling some of that, um, and emotional manipulation, but as far as physical abuse, you know, I'm thankfully I can say that that was not something that was commonplace, uh, at least in my personal experience. Um, but I was bought in, I was working on bus routes. I was in the choir. I was doing all this stuff. And, uh, what kind of lifted the veil or burst the bubble or whatever you want to say, um, destroyed my rose colored glasses was we had when I was in 11th grade there was a coach from another um, basketball team that was in our league and what happened was was he suddenly showed up at our church and all of a sudden was attending and all of a sudden was not at his old ministry and he was teaching 6th grade Sunday school and working in the choir and um, I basically was the first person in the church to discover that the reason that he had left so suddenly from his last ministry was he was trying to evade a warrant for um, having physical uh, sexual relationships with a minor. So as a 30-year-old youth pastor, um, he was having physical uh, sexual contact with a, a 16-year-old girl, um, 16-year-old homeschooled babysitter, and it was an ongoing relationship and really just abused his power to, you know, kind of manipulate this girl. And, um, so it was just a really kind of sickening situation and being the first one to know as a teenage guy, I did not know how to address it. Didn't know who to go to. Uh, looking back, I should have immediately called the police, um, when I realized that that's what he was doing. Um, that he was there literally for the sole purpose of evading the warrant that was being served to him. But, um, you know, so that situation happened. I Googled, I was like, why is this guy teaching sixth grade Sunday school? Why is he up on the stage? And, um, you know, as I, as I brought this to the leadership at the church I was at, um, what I discovered was, and I do believe this was true. What I discovered was, is that, uh, his dad, who is a uh, Tim rule, um, in Chico, California, just to be clear. Um, what I discovered was Tim rule had essentially called, uh, my pastor here in California, uh, in Southern California and had said, you know, Hey, me and my son have a disagreement. Uh, there is, you know, it's just not wise for us to continue working together. And I just want to, um, I think it would be better for him to work at your ministry. And, you know, I think it's better that me and him part ways. And so 
that was the way that he said that, you know, my son was involved in a uh, illegal relationship with a minor was basically saying, oh, we have a disagreement, a ministry. Uh, why don't you take him? And so uh, kind of shoved the situation onto the church that I was attending. Um, I brought it to the attention of leadership. Um, he was removed from teaching sixth grade Sunday school, thankfully. Um, he was removed from the choir. Uh, but unfortunately, um, it was never announced to the church that that was the situation that had happened. Um, it was never brought to the attention of anyone there that um, that this was the case. And slowly but surely, he was allowed to volunteer in more and more um, aspects, especially ones involving youth, which was disappointing. Um, and so um, that was kind of a situation that really shook me as like, wow, I can't believe this just happened. Church is a safe place. So why would someone, you know, just try to relocate somebody who did something like this? And that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of, um, you know, just Googling and researching the history of the movement. Now, I got some flack on Facebook for saying that I started Googling and they were saying, well, if you read enough biased websites and things like that, um, I was finding legitimate police reports and things. And, um, you know, and I was reading a mix of, of those things. And I was reading stuff directly from independent Baptist churches. I was reading, um, I read a book by Jocelyn Zichterman called I Fired God. And what I began seeing was names that I was very, very familiar with. Even being on a more fringe church within the movement, I was recognizing names in everything I was reading. Um, I remember reading I Fired God, and she describes, you know, one of the men who helped, you know, kind of protect her abusive husband and try to silence her. And it was someone that I almost interned for for a year when I was in high school. And so, you know, as I began doing research and seeing names like Jack Hiles, guys who I had heard praised by guest speakers at our church and even my pastor at my church, and, you know, it was just shocking as a high school student looking up the name Jack Hiles, a guy who I had heard praised by so many people, and reading stories about him having illicit affairs, about uh, misusing church funds, about um, just all these wild things that you just don't expect to see a church connected to. And so that was just a really shocking situation. And over basically the next two or three years, I just really was just constantly researching. I was seeing new cases pop up and it was for lack of a better word, it was traumatic to realize that the movement that I felt like was my home. I spent seven days a week at that church, you know, and, and at conferences and communicating with people who were, um, who were part of that movement, it was really disturbing to me to see that there was these poorly kept secrets that were just rising to the surface. And that once that bubble popped, I started seeing more and more. And I started, when I saw someone's name pop up, I would look them up and see, you know, is there something here that I'm not seeing? And it was unfortunate how many times I would Google somebody's name and some kind of legal lawsuit or some kind of, of scandal would pop up. And it was just, it was just a really, it was a really shattering time because it basically was like this movement that I love, this church that I love, this, you know, 
I was, like I said, I was bought in. I believed all the things that, you know, um, that independent Baptists believe. And it was just shattering. It was a really shattering moment. It, it shattered me, you know, emotionally and even spiritually to where I had to kind of reevaluate and say, what do I believe? Is this all just lies is, you know, is all the theology wrong is all this. And, you know, and I just didn't run away from it. I just basically started looking and saying, okay, um, around 2013, when I left, I just said, you know what, I'm going to just start kicking at the floorboards of everything that I believe and see what holds up. And so I began doing a lot of Bible study to kind of determine the theology. I kept doing, you know, a lot of studying on the actual roots of the movement itself. And, um, in a lot of ways, theologically, um, there's some things that just haven't changed. And then in a lot of ways, there's things that have drastically changed. And, um, you know, one thing that's changed for me, that's not theological is just how I view the independent Baptist movement. And, um, look, I'm just going to answer this question right now. Um, even though it's not asked directly, I know other people have brought it up is there are good independent Baptist churches. There's, there's churches with good people that meet every Sunday that would never, ever, ever uh, condone child abuse. And I'm thankful for those churches. Um, but here's, here's the thing. When you look at the roots of the movement, when you look at the, the leadership, the people that are praised, even by those good churches, there are some serious deep rooted flaws that I think stem from fundamentally flawed theology that come from fundamentally flawed ways of viewing people, viewing women, viewing children. And I think that, you know, I don't want to throw, you know, when when people say don't throw the baby out with the bathwater for me as a Christian, the, the baby that I don't want to throw out is Christianity. Um, for me, I believe that Christianity is the most coherent worldview. And I'm sorry if you're not religious, you're listening to this. Um, I, I'm just saying from my personal experience that I believe that Christianity is the only way that, um, the natural world really makes sense. And I, you know, just because of my personal experience and because of what I've researched, um, I'm pretty staunchly set in that position. And, um, you know, I truly believe that the, the way to make sense of the world around us is through a scriptural lens. And so when I see, you know, the independent Baptist movement and the way that they view certain passages of scripture, I just have a fundamental issue there. And so when people talk of, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, I think that, you know, sometimes the gospel is the baby lost in the bathwater of the IFP movement. And so I think that, you know, people talk about reforming the independent fundamental Baptist movement. And honestly, I'm not at a point where I see that being a reality. I think that's built out of so many misconceptions and ideologies, both scripturally, you know, as a Christian, I think scripturally. And then I think also just sociologically, I think there's a lot of really poor views of children, women, even men, and just the power structure of the IFB. Um, And so um, I don't personally believe that there's a chance to reform it. I think it just is something that needs to be done away with. Um, 
or it needs to just be, you know, if you want to stay independent and hold to Baptistic, um, I think that's a word, <laughs> to Baptist positions, then I think you have to really address the issues of man-centered theology. You have to address the issues of, you know, an inordinate amount of power given to one person and so on and so forth. Uh, I hope that answer didn't get too convoluted, but um, that was kind of my, that's been my journey and my breaking point with the movement. And the more I study as a Christian, the further I drift from it and the more that I um, develop empathy for others, the further I draw from it. Okay. Joe asks, who are some of the most egregious IFB villains? I've kind of mentioned some of them. Um, you know, Jack Hiles is probably the premier um, kind of cult leader um, and the person responsible for many of the problems within the IFB movement. Um, almost every nasty worldview can be traced back to that man. And he was pastoring a church, you know, one of the largest or the largest mega church in the U.S., the biggest Sunday school in America, and his influence is still felt to this day. Um, I think also I would throw in, I mean, there's a lot of names I could throw in just that have done horrible things, but as far as enabling leadership, I would say Jack Hiles, uh, Jack Scopp, I would say um, Jack Treber. Um, There's, there's, there's a lot. Um, But I would, I would say that the main one, that I see influence run through is Jack Hiles. And I think anyone who follows closely to his pattern um, would be a pretty egregious um, villain and, and abuser. Um, but I'll obviously more names will pop up as we do the show. But um, I think currently uh, Tr- Jack Treber may be, um, and he's out of Golden State Baptist College. I think he might be one of the most harmful people um, that's in a strong leadership position right now. And uh, we just saw a lot of that with how he dealt with the Cameron Giovanelli case, um, which you can you can do some research on that. But I think Jack Treber may be the the most egregious, outwardly harmful figure in uh, the IP movement today. And not not saying he's the worst person in general as far as like what he's doing. Um, I think you know obviously there's some people that are literally raping or abusing people. Um, but I think that he's allowed so much stuff to happen and he has such a big platform that I think that he's pretty inexcusable for the, the conduct that he's held. Okay. And then Hannah commented and we have about three questions. So hang in there. Um, so Hannah asks, how many are seeing the issues within the IFB span? All denominations all have the same hierarchy hierarchy it's too early i'm recording this too early to be saying this word thank you hierarchical institutional man-made structure if that is taken away what would christians be left with what do the disciples have that we don't a passionate fearless love for jesus wonder working power just to name a few hannah thanks for the question um yeah i think one of the big things and again this dives back into like a theological thing but i think it's also important just I mean, this is something that even sociologically we've discovered is that when all the power rests in the hands of one man and he's not allowed to be questioned, I think you have problems. I think that that's true in a political sense. I think that's true in a spiritual sense. And I think the reason that we see these issues really span in many denominations is many denominations don't have a very clear accountability system. Um, 
you know, look at the Catholic Church. You have a priest who is not answering to really anybody except for, you know, another guy ahead of him. So if you've got a corrupt leadership at the top, a lot can slip by. Um, you know, one thing I do appreciate with, you know, certain denominations is the way that they structure. So there's a ton of accountability. And I think one big problem within independent Baptist churches is you have one sole pastor typically, and then an assistant pastor. And I think that, um, again, diving into theology, I think the Bible very strongly pushes for elder led churches. And so when some may disagree with me on that, that's fine. That's a, that's an interpretation of scripture, but I believe that the Bible truly speaks toward a plurality of leadership. And I think when you have those checks and balances, it helps limit abuse. Um, and I think the disciples kind of had that accountability. I think that you saw guys like, um, and even the new Testament church, you had guys constantly checking in and um, working to make sure that churches were operating the way they were supposed to. And I think if, you know, if we had some more churches that were elder led and had a plurality of leadership, I think it would be a, uh, a much harder place for abuse to thrive the way that it does in a lot of independent Baptist churches. All right. And then the last question, I've gotten a couple variations of this. Um, it's why did you start the podcast, share your testimony, et cetera. And I kind of shared some of that, uh, with discovering that an abuser had been, you know, kind of covered up for, and the church that I was at was used as the conduit to do that. Um, but, um, yeah, I'll just kind of brush through all of that again. Um, you know, that was a big factor, uh, was that situation. Um, the other factor was just seeing, uh, so many familiar names, um, involved with movement and, um, you know, kind of seeing the pieces kind of fall together and all the really troubling things that I was discovering. And I just hadn't seen, you know, it was really one of the things that really pushed me to think about it. And it is, uh, aside from me already being a videographer and somebody who tells a lot of stories, um, when I watched spotlight, I was thinking the whole time, man, their discovery process is so similar to what mine was. And there's a scene where they're flipping through the book of priests and how they're being moved around. And I remember having that same moment sitting there with like all these printouted papers and highlighting names and drawing out connections between, Oh, here's Jack Kyle's Jack tree. Why, why are all these people connected? And, um, I just thought how great would it be for there to be a quote unquote spotlight, uh, for the IFB, um, context. And so that's one reason I decided to do it. And, um, the last, the last reason I, and, um, I was, uh, I was debating even up until this point, uh, sharing this. Um, so I, and again, I'm on my own, my own personal journey with a lot of this stuff. And so, bear with me and um, I, I'm going to share as much as I'm comfortable with at this point, but um, I personally experienced a, um, an abusive moment. Um, I think that's how I'll describe it. Um, when I was a much younger kid, um, I, I can't place the exact um, year but I would say I was probably in third grade, maybe second grade. Um, I would say somewhere between 
somewhere between that range. I, I think third grade is probably the most accurate um, kind of pinpoint. Um, but I experienced um, a form of physical abuse. Um, and just me saying that out loud right now just feels strange. Because uh, to be completely honest, um, and this is something that the podcast kind of helped me work through and, and talking to people and so many brave survivors sharing stories and man, my story doesn't even come close. I don't want to, I don't want to belittle my own story, but my story doesn't even come close to some of the crazy, um, tragic stories that I've heard shared over the past couple of weeks. But, um, for me, it's been, um, dealing, I've been dealing with this privately for a very long time and um you know it's been it's been almost i mean over 15 years kind of working through it not saying a single word about it and um but it's always been really fresh in my mind even though i was young i can play through in my mind exactly what happened um you know I have a good sense of how long everything happened and what took place exactly. And, um, you know, I didn't, I've been debating whether or not sharing any of this, but for right now, that's all I want to say about it. Um, I'm still getting to a point where I can kind of mentally and emotionally kind of talk through some of that stuff. Um, but just to be transparent, um, to however many of you are listening to this episode, Um, this was a event that has really always been the back of my mind and constantly has affected even when I was, you know, even when I was passionately involved with the IFB, um, there was a lot of emotion surrounding this event and, um, I've never spoken with anyone really outside of the initial time that the event happened haven't spoken with anybody um and to be completely transparent like i said um i hadn't even told my wife until about a week ago and um i just called her and broke down crying and shared my story with her and um you know and i kept finding myself saying oh it's not that bad you know compared to all these other stories but the truth is um you know, we can only experience our own stories. And so I, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say that, you know, it was a huge emotional and mental roadblock for me for a long time. And it still is in a lot of ways to the point where, you know, I'm doing this podcast, I'm sharing all these stories, but it's a story personally that I really struggled to tell. And so, um, I, that's all the detail I really want to go into right now, but I will say that you know, that personal experience is and and the fear I felt in that moment and the emotional ramifications of years later realizing what happened and being, you know, traumatized by it all over again internally is something I don't want anyone to experience, whether in the independent Baptist movement or anywhere. And so if I can help, you know, if I can help bring awareness um, so something like that doesn't happen again and can prevent any of that, then this podcast was way worth it. 
And um, I don't want to end on a dour note, but it looks like that's the way I structured the questions. But um, I I just really appreciate, I know I've said this a hundred thousand times, but I'm going to keep saying it, is I really appreciate the support of this show. I really appreciate you guys. There's, you know, when I say you don't know how much this means to me, I say that as someone who has I mean just been mentally rocked by this world um by this movement um by the theology by the social impact by you know a personal scary experience that I'm thankful wasn't worse and um I just want to let you guys know if you are struggling if you are um if you have had negative experiences, you're not alone. Um, I'm coming at this not as a passive observer or reporter. I'm coming at this as someone who really has seen firsthand so much horrible stuff get swept under the rug. And, you know, I just, I hope you guys know that um, this show's here for you. Um, this show is here to encourage you. And I hope that you know, together we can get stronger as a community and that we can prevent, like I said, prevent another case of abuse from happening um, and at least stop it at the scale that it's been happening for so long. And so I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to my answers to these questions. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. I mean, we've, we're four episodes in, we've had over 4,000 downloads. Um, just keep sharing, keep leaving iTunes reviews. Um, you know, visit the Preacher Boys Doc website and pick up a shirt or a sticker or something. Just keep raising awareness of this. There's so many people whose stories need to be told and so many people who need to hear those stories. And so um, just keep that in mind and keep, uh, keep supporting. I really appreciate you guys. And if you are being abused, if you know someone who's being abused, just remember not to stay silent. Uh, call the police immediately. If that's you, stop listening to this podcast, call the police immediately, and, um, and the best time to do it is right now. And so, um, and if you need any kind of assistance or anything, feel free to reach out with a message, and I'll try to connect you with a good resource uh, to try to assist you. So, anyway, that's all the questions for now. If you guys have any questions that weren't covered, feel free to shoot those over, and I may do some more of these episodes uh, moving on as the podcast continues to go. But uh, for now, I'm going to go ahead and sign it off. Thank you guys again for tuning in and uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.